Hey everyone, welcome to Women's Work, Rising, Leading, and Thriving, produced by the Institute for Women, Wellness, and Work at Ursuline College. I'm Gina Messina, and this is a podcast that empowers women to recognize ourselves as the leaders we've been waiting for. Today, our guest is Renette Burks, Deputy Director of the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. She has had a long leadership career in the justice field that began at the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center and includes serving as warden of the Ohio Reformatory for Women at Marysville. But if you ask her, Renette describes herself as being in the business of saving lives. Renette has received multiple very well-deserved awards for her ongoing commitment to transformational leadership and serving others, including the Governor's Award for Community Development and Participation in 2019 and Warden of the Year in 2017. Renette, I am so excited to talk to you. It feels like I should sing that song, Reunited, and it feels so good because... (laughs) I'm like, it's been like 25 years since we seen each other. And um, it was like my very first professional like career role with the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center. And you were, you know, the amazing justice advocate director of justice advocacy at that time. And I think that was one of your first roles that led into this lifetime career for you in being an advocate for women in the justice, uh, the justice field. So it's so great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you too, Gina. And I could sing that song with you if you want to sing. I love it. (laughs) But um, I love to sing. So (laughs) I love it. I remember you have a wonderful voice. I do. Something happened along the years, but (laughs) it's great to see you too. And it is so nice to see you flourishing in your career and, um, and, you know, it's it's nice that social media keeps us connected, but it's different now that I get to see you face to face. I'm just very excited. Yes. Yes. It's so wonderful. Um, so I wanted to start off by asking you, you have this amazing leadership career and I truly, I, you know, I have followed you. I've watched all the wonderful things that you are doing. Like you are somebody who I see as truly making positive change in our world every day with the work that you're doing. And you started off, you know, as um, a justice advocate for women who are survivors of sexual assault. And it led you into this long-term career where you became warden of a women's prison You were named Warden of the Year uh, in 2017, and now you're the Deputy Director for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like what drew you to this field and, you know, what has continued to keep you passionate about the work you're doing? So, you know, it's an interesting question because I've thought about this question through the years. I've been asked it many times. And one of the things that stood out the most, and now that I think back about it, I really grew up in a home where my mom had a strong voice and she was an advocate in many ways for people who I felt were more, I guess, underserved or not treated correctly. So in that sense, I think I always had my mom as this role model, as this woman who would do these things for folks who we're not necessarily treated the right way. And so I really think that's where my, like my strong sense of wanting to give back and help people. 
and serve. I really think that's where it really came from. That's amazing. So, you know, I think that a lot of us here, like, oh, advocating for survivors of sexual assault, we get that, right? But a lot of us do not understand the prison world. Women um, who are incarcerated and what it looks like to go to work every day, to be a warden, to be leading a prison system advocating for these women. One of the things that I've really been struck by is your focus on rehabilitation rather than punishment, I think was, you know, what a lot of us think of as prison being when it really is supposed to be about rehabilitation. So what led you to that role and what was it like for you working in that kind of an atmosphere? And What leadership skills did you need to bring to the table in that job? So I think there are many things that led me to that role. I I certainly think the work that we we both did at the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center led me to really my, my, my focus in my entire life. I think that was like the foundation for some of us who were new in our careers who were learning ourselves, who were developing and growing into the women that we are and having and working for an agency like that, that was a feminist based, strong grassroots agency where we had women leaders who use their voices to make change and were involved in so many different levels and who taught us about racism and sexism and ageism and homophobia and all those things that tend to tear our world apart. They taught us uh, to be more inclusive and embracing and uh, and diversity. They taught us diversity and the importance of it. And it's more than about our skin color. Skin color certainly is a a place has a place in that, but it was more than that. that. That discrimination was occurring on so many different levels. So I really think the Rape Crisis Center was truly the foundation. That was my true start where I remember my interview with Mary Bridget and Susan Ratborn. And in that interview, and I think Betsy uh, might have been in that interview, too. And I remember in that interview, I said that I was um, I was like a sponge. I was ready to soak up and learn and grow. And I really believe there's a saying that says bloom where you're planted I truly believe that I bloomed there. I that I was planted in my foundation there, and that's where I bloomed. And so then I go into this world of uh, government of uh, corrections, where it's much different than a, a, a grassroots feminist agency. It's much different than this nonprofit where we would. You remember we would picket when 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 judges would make horrible horrible statements to survivors of sexual assault and shut them down during their impact statement. Right. So I go into this now world of government where I can't necessarily do some of those more, uh, what people call radical things. I didn't call them radical. I think they were right, but, uh, I can use my voice and my abilities in, in other ways. And so it led me from advocating for sexual assault survivors to advocating for initially crime survivors and crime victims within the agency and within the Department of Corrections, because I started off in that section. And then that led me to the prisons. And what I what I truly believe, and I said this when I was first appointed warden, is that I will always be a victim advocate at heart. And I truly believe that if you can help the people who 
commit crimes, if you can impact their lives, if you can change their lives, if you could give them a or help them create a different destiny for themselves, I truly believe that you can help reduce crime and help lessen the the fact or or help uh, not create any more victims in a sense. And so I saw the connection between the two. And many people say like, I don't know how you transitioned from working with victims to now working with incarcerated adults. You know, many incarcerated adults are victims. And when you hear their stories, you will be blown away. So, you know, when you think about the people that we serve every day in in our correction system who are incarcerated, it saddens me because many of them didn't have a chance to begin with. And so I always think that it's our goal to ensure that they have opportunities that they didn't have. That they, that they really get to know themselves and they learn about all the things that make them unique and wonderful. I used to tell the ladies all the time that they're beautiful, that they're intelligent, that they deserve an opportunity for difference. Some people's opportunity will remain inside that fence. They'll never get out of prison. And I understand that. But it doesn't mean that they don't and shouldn't have that opportunity. They don't deserve and shouldn't have it. Other folks their opportunities will come when they get a chance to go home and to become our neighbors. And so I wanted the women to leave there knowing that they mattered and that they can make a difference in this world and that they deserve an opportunity, but they had to see it themselves. There's a, a quote by Yama Van Zant that says, freedom is a state of mind, not a tangible condition. Mm-hmm. And I tell them that all the time when they talked about being locked up. There's many people who are not incarcerated that are locked up. And so I wanted the women to be able to explore their freedom and who they truly were. And so that was important to me. As far as leadership skills, you know, I, I, I think there's a huge difference between a leader and a manager. Um, and for me, my leadership style was uh, what more pe- people would probably call more transformational. I just believed in being inclusive. I believed in surrounding myself around um, with people who are smarter than me, who had more experience than me and who could use their voice. And so I didn't want an environment where my staff felt shut down or they felt like my team felt like they could not voice their opinion or say, warden, we disagree with you or here's here are my thoughts. I always wanted to have that roundtable discussion and knowing that at the end, I, as the warden, had to make the decision and stand by it. And when it didn't go right, I didn't point my finger and said, this person did it, this person. No, I'm the warden. I made that decision. And so my leadership, I think characteristics and style are about being inclusive, about listening to folks, about providing people with opportunities, even on my team encouraging my my team to do their best, expressing gratitude. I think gratitude is so huge. I would tell my team, thank you all the time. I appreciate you. It was important for me to learn about people. And so I'm not saying that like, I have to be in your personal business, even though my mom said I was a nosy child. But <laughs> it's nice to know when you have a team member that breeds dogs and they have a strong interest in dogs. And so when I did my rounds and walked around, talked to the incarcerated women. I talked to the team about, hey, you know, how, how'd the uh, dog show go last week? Or, or how's your golf game? Or, or whatever it was that interests them. Because a lot of times my team would bring some of their interests into the facility that would and, and train the women and teach the women. We had team members who owned farms. And so when we did 
um, mom and kids day and the kids got to come in and spend the whole day with mom, he would bring in his, um, some of his animals and we'd do a petting zoo. So you got, you know, there, there's so many ways that you can take your leadership skills and other folks' skills and put them together and create something that, that, that is wonderful. And that's what we tried to do. And I say we, because a lot of times as the warden of a facility, as the deputy director, as the leader of anything, you get all the, the credit. You know, I got warden of the year. I got, you know, I received all these different awards, woman of the year and all these things. But what I always tried to make sure that people understood is that while I get all the credit for the good work that's happening, it's the team that's doing the work. And so I would say that, yes, I'm warden of the year. I understand that. But we are the institution of the year. We're the team of the year. You know, here, these are the case managers of the year. These are the officers of the year because it really is a team effort. I so appreciate that. And I think that that's something that is often overlooked or missed. The fact that our teammates and the people that we're engaged with, nobody has all the skills. Nobody has all the knowledge. And recognizing there are people that you are going to bring into your team that are going to know things that you don't. And together, it's how you really build something so effective and so um, change-making, right? So I love that. And I think that's something that we all need to be thinking about constantly is it's not just about us. It's a collaborative effort. That's really, really inspiring and amazing. And one of the things I was thinking about, I'm listening to you talk and you've kind of answered my questions, but I I feel like I want to circle back a little bit Because I I think a question a lot of us would have is like, how do you keep employees motivated, right? How do you keep employees motivated to begin with, much less when you're coming to work every day in a prison, which again, a lot of us have preconceived notions about what that must look like and assuming that it has a particular culture. And, And you, as the leader, did this. You you changed the culture. You motivated your employees and you created an atmosphere where those who were incarcerated were recognized as human beings, as having opportunities, as being able to move on and do something great with their lives, which I'm just so wowed by. Like, I just have to say, I'm so wowed by and inspired by. So if you could talk a little bit about like, you know, what it looks like to motivate your team. Where did you develop these skills and ideas? And what would you recommend for others who are thinking about team motivation and and changing culture? You know, changing culture is difficult. And the one thing that I learned is that you, you need to have patience, which I don't have a whole lot of, and I can admit that about myself. I'm anxious. I want it done now. You know, when I see the vision, I'm ready to run with it. And so, but I think I had people on my team who had patience and who understood that. And I think, so I think that that's certainly the start. I think as far as motivating people, I think it's really important to find out what motivates people outside of financial incentives, because we didn't necessarily have the ability to do that. You know, raises are factored in already. And, you know, you have your different step increases and things like that. So what can we do to make people or motivate people to do to do well? And one of the things in the prison that was always important to me and, and important to, to, I think, all wardens is safety. You want your staff to come to work, be safe at work every day and go home safely to their families every day. 
But you also, and, 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 and I don't think you can have one without the other. You also have to, and I wanted my women who were incarcerated there to be safe every day. The staff can then focus on what the true mission of our institution was, our agency is, and the women can focus on what the mission of them being there is. So I think getting people to understand that you have a role in this mission. We have a great mission. You know, the mission of the agency is to reduce recidivism among those we touch. Our vision is to reduce crime in Ohio. Our, our, the mission of the institution was to create a safe and enriching environment for all. And so when you, I think, when you're able to get people to buy into the mission and vision and understand that they have a direct role and then connect everything we do to it, we're doing this because this is a part of our mission. This is going to save lives. This is going to enrich everyone. It doesn't just enrich the population that's living there, folks that are living there. It enriches the lives of the people who are working there. We try to do things for staff that were engaging employee week. Employee week happens once a year, uh, but we really try to, to do things to let staff know that we appreciate them. You know, I used to thank people for coming to work. I used to say, thank you for coming today. You know, they look at me kind of crazy. You know, I realize you're getting a paycheck, but I can still say thank you to folks. You know, I can still let them know that I appreciate what they do and that they're here, they're present, and uh, and they're doing a good job. And and I think it was important to say to folks, I care about you. It's probably a little bit untraditional in a, in a prison environment, or at least I think that's what many people think, but it's really no different than your work environment. Isn't it important for your, your team to know that you care? You know, isn't it important that your team knows that they have your support? And isn't it... A, important that when something happens in their lives that we support them but i think there's many things you can you can do to motivate your 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 team and you have to really work hard to find out what motivates them and it's okay to ask them too so I need to ask you um, not to jump. You've said so much and I know people can't see me as I'm sitting here nodding my head and nodding my head and wowing because your passion is contagious. And I would imagine that is very much felt by your team and the people that you work with every day. I imagine that is very much felt. And I think as women, we do do things differently. I think that women-led organizations come to things a different way. So what are your thoughts as women? What, you know, we often are talking about our challenges as women, and there's no doubt we have challenges, but also because of our gender, because of our intersectional identities, those experiences give us, I feel like a foundation that allows us to do things differently that really work. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting that you ask this question because I, I, I talk about this frequently. And so our agency for the first time in history has a female director and that Chamber Smith, which is just amazing to the women in the agency. I'm sure it's amazing to the men, but not like it is to us. We just are ecstatic about it. And, you know, I couldn't think of anyone better to lead us through this pandemic. Her knowledge, her, her skill base, her experience, but then her, her, her womanism, I guess, you know, in a sense, she just has this way of responding and dealing with situations that, and, and particularly this situation that is so very logical, very in tuned, 
fact based. It's just it's just amazing to see her lead. So I, you know, that is exciting to me. And it is challenging as women. But here's what I think about. I think that we are innately nurturing and we hear that uh, a lot. We hear women are nurturing. I think that we certainly are very caring. I think that we're passionate, but compassionate. I think we are folks who tend to gravitate toward, I think we gravitate toward people and we want to help. You know, we are those helpmates. And so during this pandemic, I think like all of those things are so important because we as a country were faced with a time or are faced still with a time that many of us have never experienced before. And there was a lot of unknown. There was a lot of speculation. There was a lot of myths, a lot of lack of information at times. And, you know, we just we, we just didn't, I think it, many of us didn't know what to do. But for women, I think the one thing that we knew is to show how we can help people and we can care about people. And what I've seen our director do is she's she's managing a lot. She's managing an agency with uh, over 10,000 staff, over 40,000 men and women incarcerated, the largest state agency. And she was a new director. You know, this hit, what, a year maybe after she became director of our agency. And I think she's done a great job with letting us know that she cares. And letting us know that we matter, letting us know that our families are important. And some of the things that she does are so, they're, they're not broadcast on a large base or anything like that. They're little small things that mean the world. You know, the fact that she understands it's important to acknowledge the loss that we've had and to not only acknowledge the loss of the team members that we've had, but acknowledge the loss of the men and women who are incarcerated to acknowledge that there's pain and that she experienced pain and that she is saddened and this is tough for her. And I think that's what's made her a great leader. And that's what's been motivating to us because we see her and we see her human side. She has brought a different lens to leading this agency and it's been wonderful. It has absolutely been wonderful. It's been tough. And she doesn't accept status quo. She expects for us to prevail and to excel even during this time. And I've seen, I've seen our agency do it, but I've seen a lot of women do it. And I, and I just think that it has something to do with how we're made up, how we view situations are a little bit different. And think about it. Typically in the home, when you have a child that's sick, you know, I'm not saying dad's not there or dad doesn't care or dad can't care. That's not true at all. And it's, it's interesting that I even have to make that disclaimer because, but that's how people feel when you, when you uplift women, sometimes men feel like we're, we're hitting them in the gut. I'm not doing that at all. And it's, I, should, I shouldn't say it's interesting that I have to make that disclaimer. It's sad that I have to make that disclaimer. But what I am saying is that typically when there's a child sick or someone sick in the home, it's mom. Who comes to the rescue. It's mom who's there taking care of them. It's mom who's ensuring that things get done. And mom's doing that. And she's still making sure the house is clean. And she's still going to work every day. And she's still buying groceries and picking up the groceries. She's still doing all those things. And so I feel like in our agency during this time, 
with the skills that moms have or women have, you don't have to be a mom to have a skill, that because of who we are in our makeup, that is why we've been able to deal with this in a way that has um, lessened the, the hurt and harm. And just that simple. I, I think how women view things in our agency are just different than men. And I think that even with my leadership at the Ohio Reformatory for Women, how I viewed the women there and and even in our agency, the men and women that we serve every single day, because I, I say we serve them because that's what I believe. I'm a public servant. And how I view them, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a woman and how I, I see things. And, I, and I, I believe that I can provide care to folks in a way that's professional, appropriate, and helps encourage them to be successful. Ronnie Burks, you are the real deal. Like you are the real deal. And I am so grateful for this conversation. And I can't imagine that anyone listening to this isn't going to walk away feeling overwhelmingly inspired and also with some really important tips on how they can really be engaging social change in their own roles. So, Ronnie, I cannot thank you enough. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today. And to learn more about our guests, visit our website at womenwellnesswork.ursuline.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to Women's Work on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.